Okay, we are here at Benzinga at the Fountain Blue Miami Beach. Getting ready to chat with Jason Nelson, the CEO of Bee Leaf Medical. Jason, how are you? That's great. You know, great to be in Miami and a great time for Missouri cannabis as well. Yeah, so let's jump right into it. Uh, what is going on? Well, tell, first tell the audience just a little bit about your uh, Bee Leaf Medical, and then let's talk about Missouri. Yeah, no, so I came be, to Bee Leaf Medical roughly eight, nine months ago, still, uh, you know, squarely planted in a medical market. I was fortunate I brought uh, six years of experience at an MSO with me and then even uh, three years in Denver prior to that. So oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, fairly longstanding experience. It's been, uh, you know, a constant reminder of, uh, you know, how to improve and, and how to not make the same mistakes twice. But um, Belief was well positioned. So in 2016, Belief was awarded one of the only CBD production licenses in Missouri. So okay. Missouri, like other markets, started off in CBD. And then, you know, ultimately Belief opted to apply for retail, production, wholesale, transportation, manufacturing. Um, and was, was, you know, generally, uh, as you understand, it's certainly in New York is the case. A lot of times if you do have some success in the CBD market, you do get a good look uh, uh -huh. or THC touching licenses. So 2019, 2020, they were awarded five retail, all very St. Louis centric, three in the city, two in the suburbs outside. Yeah. Three production licenses for a total of 90,000 square feet of canopy. And then uh, two manufacturing licenses in which we make all of our infused products, of course, your uh, vaporizer cartridges, concentrates, as well as edibles, uh, lotions, medical products. Um, and yeah, they were, uh, you know, honestly had to build out that platform quickly, not on, on an uncommon story. Essentially, yeah. uh, built out 2020 uh, amidst the pandemic, launched in 21. And what we saw in Missouri was a relatively successful medical market from a revenue growth perspective, but hey, uh, a good number of operators, perhaps uh, too many for a medical population. Likewise, uh, a good number of store retail fronts as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that was well positioned for an adult use transition. And I joined Belief roughly eight months ago. We had just started having a conversation like, listen, it's going to be on the amendments. You know, we were out uh, collecting signatures to make sure it was. Then you back into some of the spending to make sure the uh, it gets across the finish line with public support and everything. And it did. Yeah, it was tight. Uh, <laughs> it was certainly a close uh, close vote. But, um, you know, and then we had 90 days essentially to, to get any uh, license zoning changes in place to understand the rules as they were going to manifest themselves. And we did. We launched in February, early February. It's a lot of hoops and stuff it, in it. It's the good kind of hair on fire, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're, everybody's working busy in this industry, but no. Uh, Somebody once said, like, we're the only industry that's like, please tax us, tax us. Or I'm like, okay, all right, that's a lot of taxes. <laughs> right, right. Um, but so, you know, it's, uh, and really now two months in, obviously a very strong first month. Surprised mm -hmm. a lot of us, you know, we'd, we know how passionate we are for cannabis, but I think the things that are tough to predict is how much engagement do you get from a Kansas city size market, for example, where you yeah. have Kansas, Nebraska, Ohio, Iowa, rather, sorry, um, that, you know, just doesn't have access to cannabis at all. Um, yeah. So that's been a great circumstance for them. We do, we, we wholesale robustly into that market. So uh, my sense brand across all of your uh, adult use SKUs, that's been an upside for us because, yeah, we can send our products over there and take advantage of uh, of their market. Likewise, ours hasn't been shabby at all. The St. Louis uh, stores all saw three to four X in increases in store foot traffic. Um, and, and likewise, some of that with Illinois coming over at a lower tax rate that we're at currently and better pricing. Um, but it's true, just a lot of local St. Louis purchasers that, you know, previously uh, you only had 6,000 medical cards in the entire city of St. Louis. Wow. Yeah, it's just that, you know, a so lot they of weren't given those things out like uh, like in Colorado, you know, when we first had medical, it was, it was a lot of people had those. So yeah. it's, it's, it's completely different. So what, um, what should we be excited about? 
for uh, Missouri and then possibly other, you know, red states. Yeah, I think well, I think Missouri is a test case for Midwest cannabis, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and we've had some strong test cases, obviously compared to some place like Illinois is the most direct adjacency. Um, I think the exciting things for, for us, certainly in the industry, and I know for a lot of folks who are kind of watching uh, the chips fall in all of these markets, is that Missouri was able to launch uh, with a very strong retail platform, over 200 stores across the state. Uh, and also, wow. we yeah, it's uh, we did so without any type of purchasing restrictions, which we had to implement up in Illinois. Yeah. So in Illinois, we knew we were going to run out of material. Um, you could buy a, an eighth and a cartridge or maybe a cartridge and an edible, but that was it. Wow. Um, and so for us, one, we didn't have any purchasing restrictions. We didn't see significant price increases. In fact, um, my suede stores, we put a commitment in place that medical price is held for medical patients, yeah. i.e. a slight discount uh, under an adult use price and then lower taxes as well uh, for that medical population. And that was of the exciting things. Imagine, um, you know, what we saw for the first hundred million dollar month, uh, 30 million in medical adult or medical revenue, which means it was essentially flat. So we didn't turn any medical customers away. We had the same engagement that we had later in the year. And it was fun to see medical patients bringing in their friends for an adult use purchase. You don't see that in other markets, right? right? Med- medical patients aren't going to wait in a 10, you know, 10 hour line uh, to get their products. They're going to yeah. gripe about it on Reddit and maybe come back and see it in a few weeks. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, things that just really manifested themselves successfully. And then now a second month of good traction and continuation of that. You know, there was uh, some supply chain variability for some firms. Some firms did opt to raise prices significantly because they could. Mm-hmm. I think for those of us who, one, committed not to do so, but then two, understood, like, listen, there's some supply chain volatility. It's yeah. not every producer can go to 3X just instantly. Um, and we were fortunate at Belief that I had just gone through this at my previous M- MSO life, likewise in Denver. So that was really one to two weeks of kind of the rumors like, oh, my store is out of uh, product or my, the prices are going crazy. It turns out that was just really isolated to specific firms. Um, and, you know, swayed on our side of the state. We had great inventories, had held pricing consistently and still do. And now you leverage that into, say, 420, yeah. getting into warmer spring uh, outside events and all those types of things. So it, it is. It's a promising spring and summer. And you're right. It's just been week over week of kind of evaluating how the chips are falling. Wow. So um, h- how many... Or how important was it to take lessons from what you had learned, you know, like in Colorado and stuff like that here? Because I hear all the time, you know, every state's different and it seems like they always try to reinvent the wheel. And I wonder, I, I, we were just talking about this at lunch. Why don't they look at the states that did it right and follow them and then look at the states that didn't do it right and not do that? But it seems like they're always trying to, you know, figure, figure reinvent the wheel as each state comes up. So did you have to take a lot of stuff that you had learned from before, and did that help you be successful here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's true. Anybody coming into the space, if you're yeah. new to the cannabis space, executive level below, doesn't matter. Um, if you don't have an appetite for nascency, it's going to get difficult. Yeah. Um, with a 10-year career, I basically have, I call it 40 to 50% of any circumstance, I've mm-hmm. at least somewhat experienced it before, I'm aware of it, so it just doesn't catch you off guard. Yeah. And then that frees up a lot of them, the emotional, mental, and, and work bandwidth for the other 30 to 40% that, hey, I can't understand how the state's always going to react, the regulatory bodies are yeah. going to react. I can't understand how the public's going to react. I can't understand what uh, legacy inventories at a medical market are going to do. So managing all of that was still, you know, as I mentioned, the good kind of hair on fire. But um, you're right, you know, constant relationships of, listen, brand partnerships you have to look at very closely. You know, there's been so many of those that have been attempted and failed that didn't yeah. have success in previous markets. 
So you're right. Uh, I think a huge thing in my experience too, which is I honestly do talk proudly about it, is uh, cultural competency for human resources in cannabis. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very specific population of uh, employees that you're working with in a medical market. And then as you scale that up, you're going to have this relationship of needing to to work with outside executives, outside talent. Yeah, That's a tricky path to bring them in, support them as both a leader and a learner. We had recently had a great hire from Amazon, um, you know, and she's uh, serving as a senior director executive level for Believe now. She didn't, she knows no new cannabis, but not the industry. Yeah. When in the world of her revenue and her throughput on logistics side to bring it to us and say, hey, um, you know, we can really leverage this experience because we want to reach out to more customers. We want to have more engagement. Yeah. Um, so that's been exciting. It's It's been good. Do you think it's important, uh, curious your opinion here, that people that are coming into the industry new are familiar or, you know, are pro-cannabis, or do you think that it really doesn't matter? As long as they got executional skills, you know, that translates over, that's all that matters. That's a great question. I do feel like if without a a passion for cannabis, the nascency gets tiring, right? Uh You know, this, hey, I want to do this. Well, regulatory reasons you can't. You know, like you hit those barriers so often. And if you don't have that personal, oh, my my grandma knows a friend who started treating me with cannabis and and really helped her chemo reactions, those types of things. Um, It's not impossible by any means. Uh Um, And what I would say is that too, uh, certainly you can have issues where someone who is too legacy oriented uh, with respect to either what cannabis has meant to them as part of the counterculture, Uh, experiences in other state markets that don't necessarily translate into the Midwest, for example. So you do, you have to kind of manage both sides of that coin. And it's true. I've I've gone through that of like through the MSO realm of bringing in uh, AbbVie executives from pharma and or AMBEV or uh, alcohol beverage, understand how the MBA kind of lens thinks about the world and then say, listen, there's value, but you really have to guard them against uh, how you can approach a staff or a business model in any other industry of CPG. Yeah. Because there's enough differences there that, yeah, you can make some fairly consequential, and it's it's revenue, right? You're, yeah. You're still fighting and clawing for revenue, trying to hold on to a, a sound business model. And to your point, uh, for those of us that do actually pay federal taxes, yeah, yeah. that's a significant chunk. And so, um, but no, it is. And I, you certainly see, I, I, I lament that a lot of the bigger MSOs right now seem to struggle with that. You have the executive mm-hmm. rotunda of experience that comes and goes. You're making similar mistakes. I, I couldn't believe I saw an MSO come out with a Girl Scout cookies product line. I was like, they forgot four years ago that all those cease and desist letters went out oh, yeah. and someone along the way wasn't, hey, oh, by the way, you can't call it Girl Scout cookies yeah. anymore. You're going to have to quit that. So you, you see little things like that and you understand why their their challenges persist. But that's our opportunity, right, to uh, to just say, hey, uh, of these key mistakes, don't do that. Um, and it's true. You're going to corporatize and normalize cannabis, which in its own way is its own relationship uh, across all these different communities that we're serving. Well, and one, one thing else that, you know, seems fairly uh, important is the fact that consumers and culture is different in LA than it is in the Midwest, than it is in Miami, you know, than it is in New York. So you have to, if you're going to be authentic and and be serving that community, you have to kind of be aware of that as well, right? Oh, 100%. And you see a lot of the, the fumbles in California as a result of that. Uh-huh. You know, maybe those MSOs were doing their best to really address a community successfully. Yeah. Stigma associated with corporate cannabis is staunch yeah. out there. You'd, you'd get called out in a cafe for wearing an MSO t-shirt. Versus stoners. You right, know what I mean? right. And there's elements of legitimacy there that certainly, you know, corporate can be a little heavy-handed when it yeah. comes to, to normalizing cannabis. Well, I think the relationship in the Midwest that we're familiar with is like, listen, um, you know, understanding the cannabis culture has been here purely from an illicit market perspective and yeah. underground, right? Not sure. like California was certainly above ground when it came to its illicit market mm-hmm. relationships. People understood cannabis was out there. 
So that, that transition, I think, is a little more nuanced and easier to transition into, like, I'll get a fair shake in the Midwest, okay? I'll, yeah. I'll be able to have that a first conversation. And if they purchase a product that, hey, it's uh, safe, quality tested, a price that you find reasonable against an illicit market price, and that's key, right? Then yeah. I, I know that uh, certainly California operators that don't acknowledge that constant conversation on behalf of the illicit market with any consumer, yeah. if you don't have that, you're going to have some challenges. Um, you, your temptation to raise so There prices. is a legacy illicit market in... In Missouri, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, East Coast too, very robust, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so as I'm approaching those consumers, although I can't do it directly, I can say, listen, um, we can talk about the contaminants and dangers of illicit market yeah. cannabis. What I can tell you is uh, for the variety, for the safety, for everything you get coming into one of my stores, I'm going to ask you for a 12 to 15, maybe at most 15 to 20% price premium over illicit market. Yeah. And that's about as much as I can ask of you because, hey, uh, inflation's high. All the things that are really driving discretionary income constraints do tend to push people back. Oh, you could just get it from your neighbor. You know, he's got it at 20 and 8. And I'm saying, listen, if you come see me, I'm at 29, I'm at 32 uh, before tax, you know, just really yeah. give us a shot. If you lose those consumers, uh, it's, th those are not marketable back, right? You know, what marketing firm is going to say, hey, let's bring back all the legacy consumers to corporate cannabis that's, yeah. sorry, I'll pass. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to tell you, as somebody who, you know, obviously back in the day purchased from, from the illicit market, because that's all that there was. Right. But now, you know, I'm in the middle of Denver. I have a ton of options all around me. You know, when I choose where I go, it's based upon how they treat me, huh? you know, because I feel like that, you know, the, the rewards program, the loyalty program, the, hey, 50% off on your birthday. Hey, I'm a veteran, so I get 10% off. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's the equalizer because I know that I can go any time of day. I know that, you know, I can go up till nine o'clock at night. I know that my reward points are gone and that makes me be loyal, you know, as opposed to like, oh, he's out right now. You know, oh, I got to go meet him in the, oh, he's running late. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't even want to go back to that even if I was saving 15 or 20%. No, agreed. And, and imagine vape cartridges as even a worse extension. Oh, so right. flowers, one thing, maybe you got some metals, maybe you've got some pesticides, but <laughs> carry down to an apron oh, yeah. to even think that someone could buy and inhale that thing. But you're right. One of the upsides that we did see in, in Missouri, and, and honestly, we probably struggled a bit with this in Illinois, is you know the degree of how you can satisfy a customer base with yeah. some lines or some increasing in volume without truly corporatizing it into everybody orders from kiosks. You go up, yeah, yeah maybe you get some rewards or maybe they spam you with text messages. <laughs> then too, your medical patients are like, hey, we had this relationship for so long. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what did I do wrong? So, you know, navigating that has been big for us. And it's true, honestly, that the first conversation piece is price that um, yeah. I, I could be sounding my books much more quickly if I said, listen, just mark it up 25 more percent. And then what we've seen in Illinois is over time, the amount of people who can afford your products is diminishes and yeah. you see a reduction in sales month over month. And so, you know, to that, that's statewide, right? That's just not, yeah. yeah. And so that to me is a good chunk of the consumer has basically said, listen, uh, milk and eggs is costing too much. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not even gonna have, because they're they're asking a 30 to 40% markup over the said prices, right? It's like, yeah, I'm gonna reject that. And I got to uh, to find my, my sense of medicine or adult use however I can. Yeah, wow. Well, it's fascinating. Like, it sounds like you guys are doing great. And uh, so how do you see getting through? You know, because when you're first new, everything opens up. You know, it's like a, a new club opening up and everybody's buzzing about it. And everybody's there and stuff like that. And then, you know, uh, six months, a year, two years, another club opens up, you know, this. So how do you keep, you know, keep that momentum and really keep kind of your uh, your position in the market? after the newness wears off? No, it's a great question. Because too, yeah, you're right. There definitely is the shiny new object mm -hmm. that we're seeing. And more notably in Kansas City, right? Because it's a more shiny new object for them than Illinois had cannabis for a while. Yeah. It's, you know, St. Louis is still, uh, you know, happily responding. But um, you really do back into, and this is a, a hot topic, 
uh, of effective marketing and branding components yes. and how you approach who you are selling to right now. Mm-hmm. And so that is, a lot of that is below the line marketing. So it is it's sponsoring music festivals, local artists, mm. you know, so much so that that gives uh, a brand that credibility to say, listen, we're giving it back to the communities that we know support us directly. Yeah. So that first and foremost relationship, I mean, a lot of times it is, it's, it's artists and festival support, it's um, events, you know, you push through things like Mardi Gras, obviously 40, 420 will have a, a nice big push, St. Patty's Day, those types of things. Lastly, and it's something that we're excited to continue to lean into, is talking to that clientele that has money to spend, mm-hmm. has benefit to take from cannabis in low dosages, is not currently engaged at all. So imagine taking a, uh, a suburb, one of my dispensaries in Ellisville. You have a, a dozen retirement communities in adjacency. Yeah. You go see them where they are. You take them here. Try this low-dose tablet. Um, yeah. You know, you really you want to navigate it carefully because you're not going to make health claims. You're not going right, to approach right, it that right. way. But to then welcome that purchasing demographic in, um, because those are the last dollars that aren't here, right? So yeah. first and foremost, I'm going to speak a cultural competent uh, message. But to stigma the, lives. It does, yeah. yeah. And just so much so that might even be they just don't want to go to the store. They'd be more mm-hmm. than happy to try it, but so that we do have delivery options in Missouri so that you do have the ability to go engage with those audiences. You're right. Yeah. So that that's just a matter of taking advantage of what you can do, right? Um, but you're right. You want to keep that steam going. In I, I found, too, you know, my grandma, she just passed away during the pandemic. But she thought it was so cool that, you know, and I'd go up there and, and I'd kick it with her and stuff. And she thought it was so cool that she was taking this like CBD and it was getting off other meds. And so at first, you know, where she's probably like, you know, like anyone else, there's a stigma like, oh, I don't want that or whatever. I mean, I saw the cocktail of stuff that they were giving her and everything was all, you know, like that. And she was a mess. And she actually like embraced and thought it was cool. You know, she flipped that stigma on its on its ears and really thought it was cool that she was doing this and that it helped her and it helped her get off meds. So, you know, I think that's probably a story that plays out a lot, you know, as, as more people get introduced to it and stuff like that. So that's cool that you guys are kind of looking towards those markets, you know, and, and I would say even, you know, like the, the, the soccer mom, you know, kind of that, you know, like a glass of wine at the end of the day or something like that. I think that's a huge market too. And, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it's flavored Disney cards. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? It's easy to make. Right, super discreet. You know what I mean? It's just like a little puff here or something. No, I think that's interesting. And I think that's cool, you know, as you guys are are looking at, you don't want to just serve you know, the, the, the core consumers, like any business, you want to start branching out a little bit and you want to start bringing some other people in and, you know, that, that kind of benefits everyone. It does. And really the only way to think about one normalization, because that is the general relationship. I mean, you're right. That converse, that's one layer of conversation you had to have that an MSO is not well positioned to have. Right. They're they're just not. Um, and, and so much and so to say is you kind of carry that trend forward, um, you know, that, that then becomes a steward of certainly EGS outcomes as well. You know, so a robust supporting of uh, our micro license applications here through June and yeah. July, for example. Um, you know, I'll talk about some of the statistics here in this panel. But, you know, when you have uh, large 15,000 plus expungements that have taken place since adult use, yeah. you've got thousands of municipal co- uh, court cases thrown out that were somewhere between arrest and conviction. Those in KC District Court were just thrown out. So when you That's start, great. No, it is. Yeah. Uh, and then look at tax dollars going to things like the public defender system, mm-hmm. substance abuse. You really, you're seeing a lot of wins come out of Missouri. And you're right, it's, it's on us as stewards in that space just to maintain the momentum. And you're right, at some point, hey, every market's going to normalize. But um, along the way, if you're building a sustainable business model, maybe first cannabis company to never lay anybody off, right? You know, yeah. A thing that you would make a commitment is tough, right? It's, yeah. You wouldn't have thought a lot of these firms have gone through now fourth and fifth rounds of layoffs. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, right. Lessons learned and true of just everybody's excited 
excited with what's happening in Missouri. Well, I'm excited. I want to see what's going on there. I, I think I think it's a really cool thing. So last question is, we were all talking about this as well. Uh, you know, some states are like all gung-ho, like about, you know, cannabis and they're, they're embracing all the benefits you just spoke of, the tax revenues and, you know, being able to throw things out of court and, you know, jobs and everything like that. But there's some states that are not really open to it. So we were trying to guess what will be the last state kicking and screaming. And if you had to guess, which one do you think it would be? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a lot of people would say, hey, the, the red states in particular, so your true southern corridor, Yeah. Um, you know, not only do they have a, a strong legacy stigma, but they also have been had it weaponized against their communities for 100%. Yeah, you know, 50, 100 years. Yeah. So that extension that they're making more progress than Kansas. So Kansas, my, my home state, has a hemp program at my alma mater, K-State. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska has less, uh, you yeah. know, so really for some reason that chunk and that space, I mean, Oklahoma's obviously blowing it up. Yeah, so that, and the, Colorado. Right, yeah. Right uh, next door to us. Yeah, but of those first that filed lawsuits because there was yeah. Colorado cannabis, you remember those? <laughs> so no, it's it's true. And uh, even I know the Kansas governor has signaled appetite to want to sign something. It's just, yeah. And it's, uh, so I'll present with Alex here shortly. He's really ingrained in the southern states uh, with Good Day Farms. And it's true, like the vast majority of legislatures don't want the political risk versus what they're fundraising for anyway. Right. They're, you know, whether they're getting money for it or not. So who cares if we get more tax money if I don't get reelected? Right. And so as you watch that dynamic, to me, what seems to make the difference is you do have a slightly more, I don't want to say just progressive as a, a general moniker of people who uh, support cannabis, but yeah. uh, at least a progressive thought towards cannabis policy to say, listen, um, you know, you can really have some benefits here. Public safety goes up. ER visits for opioids go down. You know, name all the... No-brainer. Right. Yeah. But for them to put out that political capital and will, uh -huh. uh, it's just not a slam dunk yet. Uh, so, yeah. it, you know, pretty safe banking. If I thought, hey, safe banking in the next term, probably for if Biden gets reelected or even DeSantis, if he ends up getting up there. Um, you're just not going to see, I don't think, the needle move. So really for us in Missouri, we're kind of this hopefully last test case of saying, no, with, with enough producers, yeah. with enough brick and mortar, you really have this market demand. Um, so let's do it responsibly however we get there. But yeah, yeah. Kansas, oh. I, I think Nebraska, I think, uh, you, do you answer your question? I was, I was, I was, I was wondering if you were going to just skirt around it. I uh, I think Idaho. Yeah, it's, it's CBD well, is illegal there. Right. Even Utah's clones. I mean, Utah's similar demographic. Yeah. They, they made some yeah. progress. It's still pretty good. Something about Idaho, man. Boy, they just and do not want to have it, which is, I'm from Washington. And again, right there, it's yeah. also. But yeah, no, this is great, man. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, and yeah, dude, you, you guys are doing it right. And I think this is a really cool, uh, really cool story. And I'll be excited to put this uh, online and, uh, and possibly in print. I appreciate that, Charles. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to talk further, we'll. Uh, I love it. That's yeah, so yeah. cool. Hey, hello. I'm Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong. Wait, you didn't think people would know who I am? Durachill. Uh, this is Duracho. This is Duracho. This is Duracho. No. Hey, I don't talk like that. You want me to sell this? Buy it. Try Duracho or else. If you want something really nice in your laboratory, buy Duracho. You can't go wrong. show was produced by Cannabis Tech Today and Pretty Easy Podcasts. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com now if you're looking to get professional production help on your own podcast at an affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcasts, making podcasting pretty easy.